we have to overcome hurdles of varying sizes when we're integrating with other platforms but our vision is that any platform that is in the market and being widely adopted that we would integrate with Well, that's someone else that honed his skill working in various different industries before deciding that insurance was the best place to launch his business. Hello, Matthew Grant here, partner at Instec London and host for our weekly podcast. Great to have you joining us. Now, this week we reached a major milestone, 30,000 downloads of the Instec London podcast. So whether you're listening in the car, in the gym, overground, underground, or even in the air, you're not alone. I've also had a look at where you're listening from. So whilst 50% of our listeners are from the UK, a quarter are from the US, and we've got people listening in another 115 countries. So whilst we may have been born in London, we are now broadcasting to the world. For this week's episode, I am talking to the founder of another well-known UK startup, David King from Artificial Labs. I learned about why David started the company and the techniques they are using to deliver major efficiencies for insurance companies in how they collect and analyze third-party data. We talk about the ways that products are delivered to their clients, and I also hear how David has broadened his education by taking advantage of the access to training from insurance companies, consulting firms, and university. This is another chance to hear David talking to us. He also features in podcast 22 from April last year. Uh, at that time, he was on stage with Tarion describing how they launched their Cyber MGA recorded live from our event in the Steelyard. And as with all our recent podcasts, you can read and share the highlights from this podcast from www.instec.london, where you can see what we've lined up for the rest of the year, the benefits of becoming a corporate member, and sign up for our weekly handcrafted newsletter. But for now, back to David. David, delighted to have some time with you to talk about artificial labs and, and your own journey. And like every other founder in this space I've been talking to, you've got a really intriguing background. But first of all, a bit about artificials. So your company started in 2013, it had your first insurance client in 2015. According to Crunchbase, you've got funding of over four million pounds. Uh, for you yourself, you, you didn't start off in insurance. You did a few things uh, before you went in working in media, worked for an insurance broker for a while, and uh, and then you ended up in insurance. Now, given all the choice you had from all your different careers, uh, what was it that attracted you to insurance at the end? First and foremost, I'm a bit of a geek. So I like data and technology and the applications of those, that type of thing. If you look at insurance, it's an area where you can use technology at scale. So there is the customer base, there are the resources, there's a competitive environment for firms. So it has all of the components I think you need in order to use that technology, use cutting edge technology because the vast array of data, and as I said, to do that at scale. And of course, you've got a bit of a history with Instat London. You might, you might even say that you are part of our success. Can you just talk a little bit about what we did together? I guess it was like five years ago now. Yes, well, when we were first trying to understand the insurance market, the you yourself and Robin were the preeminent people to try and talk to, but why would you give us the time of day? So I think in order to try and persuade you that we were worthwhile, we designed the logo and your first website, and I think that gave us some free or some sweat marketing in terms of exposure, but also got us in, some insight in how the ecosystem worked. 
Great. Well, I, you certainly uh, made a bold move. I don't think anybody else has got a logo of yellow on black and it still seems to survive since you designed it. So thank you for that. And thank you for the early version of the website. So let's talk a little bit about the, the problem artificial is solving. And you've got a, a great schematic here on your whiteboard that is very clear when I look at it. But your job is to articulate that in, and explain the role of, of artificial. So we're trying to help insurers digitally quote bind an issue to use all of the data that's available and provide their customers with a great experience. Now, uh, I think we're aware that not an insurer can't say to all of its uh, brokers and cover holders and all of its sources of business, I'm gonna have one platform that's probably a website and you're all gonna enter the data into that. I'm gonna do the verification and validation and get all the data in a really clean way. So you've got to be or we enable an insurer to be completely agnostic to how they receive the data. So a lot of the time from brokers, they will be receiving emails. There will be submission data in the body of that emails in attachments, which are probably PDFs in Excel. Some uh, brokers might want to send them information via API. And of course, some will use a, a website. So regardless of how they're sent that information, we very quickly structure it and then we put it in a digital format to enable them to augment with third party and internal data sets, to score risks using a variety of rules-based approaches and machine learning, and of course price it, maybe integrate with their cap modeling so that by the time it hits an underwriter, they've got a very detailed and informed picture of what is the likelihood of me writing this business and is it worthwhile my time or can I very quickly go back to a broker and say it's missing information this doesn't fit with our appetite or perfect scenario we're going to automate the whole thing and we're going to go straight ahead with uh, binding the risk. So you seem to be it's a reaching uh, back into the past where people are still sending pdfs and emails but you're also very much looking to the future where you're able to go directly to the the, the, I guess the, the original broker or even the original client to get access to their data through their systems and, as you said, the, the APIs. Yes, I think you have to be sympathetic to where the market's at. So I use sports analogies quite a lot, so apologies for that in advance, but there's no point having a car that could win the, the Formula One race in 2025 if you're in 2020. So if the brokers are going to send you emails and they're not going to sign up to your platform, and I am understand that because why would they sign up to 10 20 30 insurers platforms and we all have trouble remembering our logins for our own personal websites that we like to log in let alone 30 ones for work so that's the way the market operates that's the way they're going to send you the data so you have to be able to consume it the way that your customer wants to send it to you and for those that are sort of slightly cynically looking at the market and and feel it's not really moving anywhere how have you seen that trend change since 2015 when you started working with insurers in, in the terms of the balance of information that's being sent you know, the old-fashioned way versus people that are starting to both put systems in place but equally importantly uh, convince their third-party partners and clients to be able to actually use those systems to transfer the data electronically. So I think there's, there's two things going on there. The first is that there is a, a trend for technology and whether it's in tech London persuading people or they're internal endeavors at these businesses that 
I think the adoption of technology is only increasing as it becomes more and more credible. And I think the other factor is the hardening of the market and people realizing they have to improve loss ratios. And if you're going to use advanced techniques in order to improve your risk selection or reduce your costs from an operational point of view, why are we incurring these significant costs and why are these people doing these tasks, which are really low value tasks? So the humans that you've got should be doing high value tasks that humans are good at. So I think once people appreciate that they need to, or there's a market imperative to reduce their costs, then technology is the, a, a key driver of that. David, you're smiling as you say that. So I, I take it that, that is a sign of endorsement that things are getting better out there. So you, you access the data, it comes in. And then you mentioned that you're looking at third-party data. So can you talk a little bit about the way you're using other sources to complement or enhance the data that's coming in? We don't have any proprietary data. So we're not selling data. We will plug in. So whatever data that is relevant for a specific line of business, we will access. And we can access legacy data via doing file transfers and things like that. The preference is always via API. So... Uh, an, an example that I like is for Axis, where they're insuring professional footballers across Europe. We plugged into not only their binder systems and some other core systems they have there, but we also plugged into Opta to give them real site, uh, real-time insights into uh, the p- information around the players and the clubs and who are pl- where are they playing, etc., which was really valuable for them. Uh, and U.S. property, a great example for U.S. properties, Pitney Bowes. Uh, U.S. commercials, Experian provide great data. So whoever is providing relevant data, we can plug into, and we can also run the analysis to show why we think that's of value to an insurer. And, and there are hundreds of companies out there now providing that kind of third data. You've mentioned a few there, but is part of your role then advising your clients on not just data you can access, which clearly you need to be able to do, but also the quality of the data when you want to use it to enhance or complement their, their own submissions? Absolutely, yes. So our data team here is run by a qualified actuary. So Alexis heads up the team, which gives him a lot of uh, insurance insight and background. And we also, somebody else in the data team has got a PhD in astrophysics. So we we can match the kind of academic analysis and simulations with the insurance insight. And they will run simulations and models for the insurers to show them if they had views, as long as they have the availability of the internal data as well, we can show them how that would have performed over time, taking that data into account. Oh, fascinating. I mean, that in itself would be a really interesting insight just to see what you discovered is given all the the different levels of uh, claims around the data that that is out there. Yes. Uh, well, uh, and one of the examples is sometimes you find things that you're not expecting to find that aren't necessarily, uh, that you can't necessarily use in an insurance context. Uh, one of them being... Uh, when we were part of the Ping, Ping An Accelerator and they gave us a lot of uh, telematic data in cars and we ran analysis with uh, on that data, the insights were that driving up and down hills was a, was a key risk variable. I don't think you can use that when pricing or doing risk selection, but it's just interesting to see what the machine will, will shows you when you do do the analysis. Interesting. So the next the telematics could be uh, what is the elevation or the change in elevation of the driver in the car as part of the... If you live in a hilly area, you're more likely to crash your car on a hill, I suppose. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So I'll come back to that Pingang Accelerator in a minute. But the other area so it's getting a lot of, or creating a lot of challenges in insurance is this ability to link different data sources together. So as you're bringing data in for your clients, 
are you able to help them by creating a way of storing the data so they can actually cross-reference different data sets or even different lines of business? We give our customers their own account on AWS at the organizational level. You can run simulations to understand how that data impacts on the larger model. And you can also, the machine learning analysis and looking at outcomes, every time that you do agree a risk or bind a risk or plug in the claims data, you can then go back and look at all the variables, all the characteristics of that risk across all those different data sources and how that impact the performance of the risk or the book or whether and how that uh, impacted on the risk selection part of the process. And the, the, the original client data you're looking at, that is co- a commercial or you mentioned the footballers, so sort of high value as opposed to retail or sort of homeowners type policies. Yes, so our, our primary focus is commercial, uh, complicated commercial policies. Let's talk a bit about those uh, accelerators. So Ping An, you mentioned, could you just talk a little bit more about what that offered and, and why you went? You took the time to go out and, and do that? So the Ping An FinTech Accelerator, I think they selected 15 firms from around the world. Uh, what was really valuable for us was to get exposure to the Chinese market. So I think it's no secret that in China things move fast and the technology adoption curve is uh, really impressive. Uh, we wanted exposure to that and we thought Ping An, lots of people talk about Ping An and uh, Ping An's uh, performance in different sectors. Uh, what we got out of it was uh, an enormous amount of data. So first and foremost, the data restrictions, I think, that Ping An face are probably lower than what we face here for various reasons. So they give you a lot of data that you can do a lot of analysis on and then you as humans get really good at the processes involved in training models and simulations and how this data should be used in a, in a real life context for insurers. Uh, and also the cultural aspect of it of Ping An make you think at scale and they make you do things very fast. So I think that's a real great thing to try and permeate into the culture of the rest of our firm, and when our, which we don't have any customers in China, but when we are talking to customers in the UK or the US or the wider Europe and talking internally in strategy sessions maybe of that, that mindset of doing things at scale and doing things very fast. And you went out to China to actually take part in that? So I program. personally didn't go out there, but it was based in Shenzhen in China, yes. Okay, and how, how long is that commitment? That was a yeah, six-month commitment. Okay. Good. So you've done that one. And then you also you did the Cambridge Judge uh, School, Business School Scale-Up Program. So it's kind of interesting because we hear quite a lot about incubators and accelerators for startups, but this is clearly aimed at more advanced companies. What was the, uh, what do you find the sort of benefits of doing that? Uh, so there were two scale-up programs that we did. One was the Cambridge Judge Business School one. The other one was the PwC Scale-Up. They were very educational so I think whereas the Ping An one was uh, very commercially focused and how are you going to create a product and get that to market and what data you were going to use, the Cambridge Judge Business School one was there. We were, they were, we were fortunate enough that their professors and lecturers visited London to run the sessions in London and it brought us up to speed in uh, from an academic point of view of running the business, the latest theories, that type of thing. And PwC gave us really valuable insight into how to approach legals and accounting and operating within large firms. Well, you've obviously figured out how to attract the attention of people running these programs because then you've also been on the Capita Scaling 
Partners program, and I believe Capita is now a, a client for you as well. So the Capita Scaling Partners is the venturing division within Capita. They invested in us, so they now hold a minority stake. And what that gives us is great access to their understanding of enterprise sales. So they've got uh, unparalleled access to the London market. I think they have over 40 uh, insurers are their are their clients. They also do a number of life and pensions business so that they've got great exposure to insurance. So they really understand really well how to sell into these firms. And also a lot of how these firms are buying manual processes or outsourcing manual processes at the moment. And we want to remove those processes. So it's a great partnership between us and Capita in that we are digitizing a lot of these things and they have the domain expertise of how these things are operating at the moment. Now, I don't think for a for a moment that you're going to remove humans from the process in in, it, in their entirety. Of course not. You're, as I said previously, you're going to hopefully get humans to focus on the high value tasks. But that's great to know the people that are the humans doing the process. How are we going to augment what they're doing with technology? So I think it's a great partnership, not only for that domain expertise, but also how to sell into these large corporates. Oh, congratulations! And is that, is that work then primarily for Capita, or are you also then getting access to the the forty clients or so? There's a team at Capita that are dedicated to scaling artificial. So they help us to sell in across the Capita business, which is vast, but also how we take joint propositions to the market with them. Okay. And, and then just more broadly, uh, there are a lot of people out there just now who claim to be able to get data from different sources, who claim to be able to extract data from PDFs. So it's quite a competitive space. How, how do you... I don't, I sort of distinguish yourself between other people. Clearly, you've got some, you've got some pretty significant clients out there. Uh, but what, what, what's, what is it you've brought to that to basically get ahead of some of the other people? So I, th- I think there's two things there. There's the why are we better, and there's what do I do to show people. So I think the why we are better. So we don't have our own OCR NLP technology. So optical character recognition or neurolinguistic programming technology. We go out and continually test the market for what is what is the best technology to use so we can switch if one takes a a lead and uh, makes advantages then we will switch to that provider what we have are tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of documents to do the transfer learning and training on in order to be able to understand how to extract the submission data so what are we looking for so nuances in that total loss or policy so an example might be policy number on one broker might be written out in one way and another way it might be policy hash they might have nested tables the terminology that they use that type of things and we've brought up a great ability to apply that to the technology to get out of it what the insurers are looking for so it's not necessarily that we so google might be the best one day amazon might be the best the next day whichever is the best at giving you the pairs or the raw data out of that we will use and then we will apply our insight into in order to get exactly what the insurer needs from it and then the yeah how do i persuade people this is probably where the one of the few areas where we do proof concepts so whether it's uh, taking submission data from uh, excels spreadsheets or the body of emails or is it taking insights from borderos i say give me your documents for free i will give you the the data back and then you mentioned before as well there are certain cases where if you talk to someone and they've got a real short-term problem they need to solve then if you can prove that you've got the right concept you can actually start working straight away as opposed to needing to go through a, a poc yes so if somebody's 
I think this is where the date, the proof of concept comes in, in when we're operating in the data field of people say this sounds like magic can you prove it to me so i will initially show them the results for free from the sample documentation and then we might do a proof of concept when we start to score that data or some integrations into their core systems if however somebody comes to us and says i need to take advantage of selling to customer x and i need to have a platform in, in order to do that in y time period usually about four to 12 weeks then we will go straight to delivery on that front and hopefully the traction that we've had with other clients in the past will be the the proof points that they need to in order to trust us well great yeah because it's definitely one of the challenges people is that is that sales cycle and we're talking at the beginning there you talking about your own background coming outside of insurance as you look at recruiting people what's the balance you tend to look for from those that have got industry experience versus those that come from outside of experience with other skill sets i understand that we need a great blend of phenomenally skilled people that are kind of domain experts and insurance insight the exact blend i don't think is a as a science i think it's a bit of an art so the data team is a good example where you've got the Harsit is an example. He has a part of a background in insurance, but also got a phenomenal academic background. As I said, he's got a PhD in astrophysics from Imperial. And we've got a partnership with Imperial, so we get a lot of really smart guys out of there. But of course, having the actuarial insight from the from somebody as well means that that theory can be applied. So you might, if you need to constrain your results to a, a GLM for example you need to know what a GLM is and how insurers calculate those and how they apply those things that type of thing and for anybody listening who doesn't know what a GLM is so general linear model so uh, just a, just a way that insurers would price an insurance product in a linear way so for example a really simple example would be the older you get the more you're going to pay for health insurance would be a really basic premise but when you do uh, machine learning approaches to this type of thing or taking number of data sets into account it might not give you the results that are perfectly aligned to the models that they're already using so it might be that you need to do something so for example an actuary might give an underwriter a permission to discount things by up to five percent without resorting back to the underwriter so if our models can operate within the same parameters it means that they can start taking advantage of some of these advanced models without breaking any of the rules and parameters that they've put in place already so sorry but to go back to your point about finding the blend i think a great example of finding the blend is in the management team as well so johnny and i are the co-founders of the business so we are very much startup guys and geeks and we realized that we maybe needed uh somebody that had the insurance background and the relationships and understanding of insurance firms to do things at scale and so we uh, partnered with a chap called uh, Damien Arnold who's now the CEO and he was the international chief operating officer of Direct Line so I think he brought an element of insight to the business that was difficult to acquire as startup people so in a, he can operate at scale with insurers yeah it seems to be a, I mean, it's a continual continual challenge isn't it for, for certainly founders in the early years you want to attract people in with some exper- experience in insurance but you can't pay the, the yes big and bills i've had or. vcs have said to me why are you not the ceo and the answer to that is because damien is a better ceo than me and i don't let my ego get in the way of that he's a better ceo than me he understands the insurance market better than i do i'm hopefully better at uh running around talking at artificial labs and getting excited about it 
Excellent. Okay. Uh, so just looking ahead to 2020, what, what are your own views of the trends you see, particularly those that yeah, could be relevant to what you're doing? So I think there's a, a really exciting trend in that the use of this technology increases speed. So if you can, if underwriters can provide brokers with quotes in a digital way and they can do it really fast, even across emails, across APIs, across websites, you are kind of getting to a point where you've got a decentralized marketplace. So the trend of how that happens, I find really interesting and how that plugs into formalized marketplaces. So the future of Lloyd's, for example, which will be a formal marketplace that has standards and ways to operate, fantastic. And you can plug into that via API, hopefully. But if a broker can send an email to 20 underwriters and get a price back within three minutes from all of them, you have created an unstructured decentralized marketplace already. Uh, so I think that's all increasing the efficiency. And because you increase the efficiency of that market, the customer, whomever they are, is going to get a better experience. So your vision for 2020 is a submission to quote within three minutes? That might be overly ambitious, but I just think that the trend is that we're moving towards more speed. One of the things we didn't talk about when you're working through your uh, your workflow was the, uh, the platforms that are acquired, or maybe you, you don't require a platform, you stand independently, but how do you integrate into the work that your clients are doing? So all of our functionality and the components are separate and API driven. So an insurer can pick all of our functionality or just one or two pieces and integrate them with their existing technology landscape or their planned technology landscape. Very early on in the process, we realized that every insurer is different and every insurer requires a different set of functionality or a different, different configuration. So in order to do that and in order for us to be scalable, we had to go with these uh, API-driven components to start off with and we see them uh, being configured by the customer and then plugged into their policy management system or other reporting systems as required. Is it relatively easy to plug into all the policies? So systems? we make it as easy as possible to plug in with our technology. Uh, of course, we have to overcome hurdles of varying sizes when we're integrating with other platforms. But our vision is that any platform that is in the market and being widely adopted that we would integrate with. Excellent. Well, one other question that I'd be like to ask everybody is with so much going on just building and running a business how, how do you yourself manage to keep a tra- keep up to date with all the things that are happening out there in the industry around you what are your sources of information to keep you informed so i listen to podcasts on the way to and from work uh i think the main one is probably finding people that are really intelligent and understand the market and being really annoying and asking them hundreds of questions so I was fortunate enough to meet Robin and yourself early. Uh, and there are lots of other people in the market that are, I think, very intelligent and very well informed. And I just annoy them. Well, I mean, it's a really interesting way the world is developing, isn't it? Because we're going more digital, but and in particular, I guess it's part of just being in the London market and insurance. But personal relationships are still a, a really critical part of that in terms of getting information. And actually, often, as you say, often the most efficient way is to have a question and go and find somebody that can answer it yeah and i find a lot of the time i need someone to explain it to me like i'm a five-year-old so that's better done in person than usually when they've done it for the ft or something like that it's probably a level of sophistication that's over and above what i require yeah well actually the difference might be you actually admit that you need it to be explained like a five-year-old other people might try and bluff it and actually not understand it uh now before we wrap up you do have some some breaking news as well that we wanted to talk about 
we are extremely excited to be able to announce our part strategic partnership with Chaucer in order to help build their next generation underwriting platform, which is hopefully making the quote binding issue process for them completely digital because they've obviously got incredible resources at Chaucer and insight and talent and technical underwriting abilities. And we want to partner with them to help build their next generation underwriting platform, leveraging all of our key technologies. Well, congratulations. And which goes back to our question earlier on about how do you distinguish yourself? And there's nothing quite like having real clients, particularly those clients are actually willing to talk about what they do with you as a way of distinguishing yourself from others. So yeah, best, best of luck for that. And then, and then finally, we talked at the beginning about you designed the logo for Interstate London and, and helped us with the website, but you were thrilled to have also now have you as a, a corporate member. So thank you for that. But so what is it that keeps you coming back to what we're doing at Instec? I think having a place where you can go to learn so for example, the Google. So as soon as Google flashes up in, the newsletter's great, of course, but the fact that somebody like Google pops up that they're going to be an event and we can go there and we can listen to what they've got to say. We can then at the same time meet people from across the insurance industry and gather their insight and network and do all those professional things is great. Okay, David, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, we covered a lot there. And of course, you can contact David for more information details in the episode notes and a reminder that everything you could want to know about what we're doing at Instec London is at the website www.instec.london including our back catalogue of 68 other podcasts all of which are still very relevant now finally like all great productions some of our recorded material does get edited out but as you've made it this far well we couldn't resist sharing this with you is there anything we haven't talked about that you'd like to comment on before we wrap up maybe make Robin the head of Lloyd's.